Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It's been a while since we flexed these GSP muscles. We've been so busy, you know, ringing in the 2020 New Year with all of the daily tennis ATP Cup. I think there's been five WTA events thus far. So challenger events, obviously, we as Cracked Rackets were in Ann Arbor for that first American challenger of the year. Hopefully, you listeners have been able to stay up to date with all of the tennis, but as everyone must be well aware of, Westoff, I need live. Lions roars. I need the tornado sirens in the background. You know what to give me because we are now on our last day of the year without our first Grand Slam being played. That is obviously something so excited for us here at Crack Rackets to kick off the Grand Slam season. And with the kickoff of every Grand Slam season, that means it's draw breakdown time. And there is no person I would rather be breaking down this year's WTA 2020 Australian Open draw with than today's guest. You know him as the co-editor-in-chief of the website, Tennis with an Accent, the author of the book, Novak Djokovic, Making the Rough Places Plain, and making his first Cracked Rackets podcast appearance of hopefully many during the 2020 season. Matt Zemek, hey, great shot and welcome back. It's been far too long. It has been far too long. Happy New Year to you and all Cracked Rackets listeners around the globe. <laughs> Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, yeah, I, I felt weird. I, we had Andrew Burton on at one point. I feel like I've been dabbling around the times with an accent. I almost felt like I was cheating on you, Matt. Oh, hey, you can have Andrew on as many times as you'd like. We, we like that around here. <laughs> yeah, of course, it was part of our best of the decade series. But, you know, it's 2020 now. It's time to flip the script. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit beforehand, but I think we should mention this at the start of this podcast before we get into any of the draw breakdowns, any of uh, the specifics from the tennis. Uh, it's very notable what's going on in Australia right now. And, you know, it, it's no laughing matter. It, it's such a serious situation for so many families, so many individual people. And obviously, you know, for so many of the tennis players down there who are curious, uh, you know, how the smoke, how the air conditions are going to affect them in their first big tournament of the year. Um, I, I feel like that is the place we have to start, Matt, right? Because, you know, not to use a pun in this, but to quote what you said, there really is a cloud of smoke hanging over this Australian Open, literally and metaphorically. Yep. It's, you know, it's just not business as usual. And, you know, hopefully there will be some rain and some wind, which will clear the air in, in Melbourne enough that, you know, we won't have some coughing or hacking spasms from players. But, you know, we saw that in Australian Open qualifying. So, you know, it's just not business as usual. So we have to we have to acknowledge that up front. And I'm glad that, that you did, Alex. Um, it, it's just not a normal circumstance. And I mean, this doesn't mean we won't be writing stuff at tennisaccent.com. It won't doesn't mean we won't evaluate various players. But we can't do it in the normal way, or at least I feel we can't. You know, I think my my outlook on this tournament is whoever does well, great. You know, they deserve the credit. They powered through. They overcame the challenges. But in this at this specific tournament, I'm not going to be harsh on anyone who loses, uh, because the, just the conditions are such a question mark, and they also raise familiar concerns about tennis players not having a workers' union. You know, that that's that would be that's really germane to this particular tournament where, you know, just to me, it seems as though they need to play as many indoor matches as possible. And yet I don't think Tennis Australia is going to try 
to do that. Uh, but you know, I'm, I, I realize I'm speculating, but I, you know, we're probably going to have some very nasty conflicts. And you know, this puts the. I mean, it doesn't. It, this doesn't invalidate past controversies about court assignments for Djokovic versus Federer, or uh, when uh, certain players, you know, get relegated to outer courts and they, you know, their stature should be better, or you know, the 2018 singles finals when Halep and Wozniacki played without a roof and Chilich and Federer played with the roof. It doesn't invalidate any of those things, but it does make them smaller. You know, where do you, what, what court assignment do you get? Not a, you know, that's worth debating, but do you play in suffocatingly bad, dirty air conditions? You know, much worse. So, you know, there is a whole ream of issues and and also i feel controversies waiting to explode and it just you know it's just we would like to have a controversy free lead up to the australian open but we just we don't have that right now and so again it's not business as usual so i i would like to caution cracked rackets listeners that you know the way we process this tournament it can't really fit into our normal baskets or our normal conceptions of how we evaluate tennis and uh, the moment you referred to early on there, I think it was Dalia Yakupovich who was forced to retire up a set uh, in deep into the second set of her qualifying match when she was overcome with a fit of coughing. She said she, you know, her head was dizzy. She just really wasn't able to move anymore. And you know, God forbid we see that happen in, you know, in any of the matches, but in particular, you know, a quarterfinal, semifinal, just all of these different things. It will certainly put an asterisk on this event. Now, obviously, there are things going on in Australia far more important than the tennis. And, you know, you hope every opponent for Nick Kyrgios just stands out of the way on the first point. They let him hit an ace so that it's an easy 200 for them uh, to go to that Tennis Australia and all they're trying to do to help combat these fires. Um, but, yeah, especially... Especially for today's uh, tournament, we're talking about the WTA draw. You look at who signed up for this event. I think it's all but two of the players in the top 50 are in line to play here. So injury-wise, everyone was looking fairly healthy heading into this. The obvious uh, missing players, Bianca Andrescu, who's going to be sitting this one out while she tends to her knee injury, doesn't want things to get risky. And you have to wonder for from her perspective, from her coaching decision, maybe the knee was good enough to go, but it's the knee plus the smoke, and she just doesn't want anything to deal with this Australian Open. Uh, the other player missing Victoria Azarenka. So you're right. This, it's definitely something I think fans at this point, if you've been following, you know, the qualifying or you've been following these weeks, these past couple of weeks, storylines about this Australian Open, I think it's something fans will certainly have to be well aware of. But with that in mind, there's also going to be so much tennis this weekend. Hopefully uh, the conditions in Australia won't affect the matches being played. Hopefully we'll still get to continue to see a full slate of matches each and every day. And to help get you listeners ready, we're going to do what we always do here at Crack Rackets and as you guys did on your tennis with an accent podcast as well we're going to do a little bit of a draw preview now sometimes these previews can get a little bit uh, complicated there's obviously 128 players a lot of information to digest we think we've cracked the code on these previews we think we have a formula down that will keep things organized for you listeners so Matt, just to recap what that formula is we're going to go from the top of the draw to the bottom each of the four quarters ashley barty first then osaka simona halep and carolina pliskova 
and we're going to ask the same questions of each quarter. It's four questions. It's A, the seeds on upset alert. B, the unseeded players in that section that we think could make the second week. Uh, C, our two favorite first-round matches of that section. And then we'll end, of course, with our predictions for the quarter. So we'll do that for each part of the draw. Sound good to you, Matt? Absolutely. All right, then let's rock and roll in the place we have to start. On the top of the draw, Ashley Barty, the number one seed, the number one player in the world in terms of points right now because of how well she did throughout the entire 2019 calendar year. She has a significant advantage over the number two player in the world, Carolina Pliskova, over 2,000 points right now. Of course, the defending champion in this tournament, the number uh, three seed, Naomi Osaka, who is on her half of the draw. Uh, But you look even closer, man, and you start with question one, the seeds on upset alert here. I don't want to say Ashley Barty's on upset alert, particularly after she looked as good as she did this week in Adelaide. She wins that final there. Uh, Some drama in her first match against Pavlchenkova, but from there, better and better. Straight sets over Vondrusova, three sets over a white-hot Daniel Collins, and then in the final, she knocks off an informed Diana Yastremska, 6-2-7-5. She's looked great. And there is that element. But Matt, you know who else has looked really, really, really good to start this season? The number 29 seed in her section, Elena Rybakina, who's gone final and title in her two weeks on the 2020 WTA season. Let's start there just for a little spicy hot take. Any upset alert in your mind potential for Ashley Barty? Uh, I mean, not, not in the first three matches. I think that we're all looking forward to a possible fourth round repeat of Wimbledon against Allison Risk. That, that would be a very compelling matchup. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't see anyone, I don't see Rybakina uh, or anyone else in, in Barty's first three rounds in, the, in week one, uh, giving her an especially strong test. I mean, uh, Sasnovich is in there and, you know, she, remember, she beat Kvitova at Wimbledon a few years ago and some of us, thought that uh, 2019 was going to be a forward-moving year for her, but it didn't happen. So I'm just not particularly struck by anyone in in week one who's going to give Barty a threat. So, you know, hopefully we'll get uh, either Barty Risk or Barty Petra Martic uh, in, in the round of 16. You look at that section of the draw, we'll talk about the seeds here. Ashley Barty, the number one seed, Rybakina, the 29, Allison Risk, 18, Petra Martic, 13, Madison Keys, the 10 uh, seed in this section, Maria Sakari, 22, Alexandrova, 25, and then our final seed, number seven seed, and last year's finalist, Petra Kvitova. So, Again, the question is which of these seeds are on upset alert here in the first weekend. I think for any of the seeds, you know, if there's a fourth round encounter between Petra Kvitova and Madison Keys, and Keys wins that, I don't think any of us will consider that a big upset. But, you know, you look at a player like uh, a Maria Sakari, who really, you know, after last year, she had, you know, she was someone we talked about, had a really good 2020 uh, year. You look at what she's done so far this year, uh, made the round of 16 in Adelaide before losing uh, to Donna Vekic in three, lost in a three-set first-round match in Brisbane to Naomi Osaka. I mean, there are a lot of dangerous floaters in this section. I think, uh, you know, I, I think the next two, we'll talk about the Osaka section and the Benchich section in particular, seem 
particularly tough. Uh, but there are a lot of players here who I think could prevent Ashley Barty from winning her home slam. That being said, I agree with you. I don't see you know, too many players here on upset alert. I think the Pedersen-Hertzog match in the first round, uh, I think that winner could give Barty trouble. In the second round, you mentioned Sasnovich as well. I'll throw in Rybakina. I, I just think Rybakina's been playing so well that she could give Ashley Barty trouble. Uh, but I agree with you. It, more than anything else, I think this section has the chance to just see a lot of very high-quality seeds advance into that third, fourth round, give fans the matchups they're looking forward to. Would you agree or disagree with that? I would agree. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, if we're, if we're just going to look at uh, upset alerts, uh you know, Madison Keys plays Daria Kasatkina uh, in round one. So that's not a, that's an upset alert, not necessarily because of uh, an inclination to distrust Keys. It's more about that's a tough matchup right out of the gate to play a difficult player who's coming off a tough season and will be highly motivated to reset the dial in 2020. That's, that is a, you know, a tricky matchup for Keys and really for anyone in round one of a major, uh, you know, Kasakina isn't uh, a, a worn down player. She, she's not mentally fatigued the way she was for, you know, long portions of 2019. I mean, so, you know, this is Kasakina in a refreshed position, new outlook, new start. So, you know, I would expect Kasakina to be reasonably competitive in that match. So for that, for that reason, that has to be an upset alert. And then, also, Petra Martic against Christina McHale. You know, we know the deal with Christina McHale. She's good enough to threaten high seeds early at majors. Her problem is not finishing. But the idea that she will push Martic, I, I would put a lot of stock in that. So those two matches uh, in the in the uh, top quarter, those, those are the my up my round one upset alerts. I have to say, I, I think there I will see more upsets as we move further. I watched a match. Uh, Julia Gerges lost, I think it was 6-6 six and six to Bencic earlier in this season. Gerges on top of that Mikhail Martic uh, matchup. So she'll, if she can knock off Kusimova first round, she'll play the winner. I think Gerges is my, you know, you transition to our next question, the unseeded player that can make the second week. I mean, this is, again, a very difficult section of the draw, as all of these sections are. And we talked about this going into last year's U.S. Open. I think it's still stands true today, Matt, that, you know, in the WTA, I could tell you 25 names that could win this title, and you wouldn't laugh at me. I could tell you 50, and depending on the situation, you know, maybe numbers 49 and 50, you'd be like, all right, Alex, that's a little bit crazy, but uh, you could go on and on, and there's the case for each of these players to win. I think you look in this section, uh, the unseated players who I think could make maybe a second week, um, I think it's Julia Gerges in this section, and I hate to say it, but outside of that, I just think the seeds in this section are too good. They've all been playing well enough thus far in 2020, or at least I haven't seen any red flags, that I don't see an unseeded player advancing out of this section. Do you see anyone, Matt, who you think could upset someone, make a push into that fourth round? Well, I think if Kasakina beats Keys in round one, then that, that would be a path to the second week, partly because if Kasakina does beat Keys, wow, she's going to, you know, say, hey, maybe I have my mojo back. So that could propel her um, through week one. You know, she could she could play Sakari in round three. And, you know, but I mean, if uh, Kasakina is, you know, newly confident, you know, she, she could handle that and get into the second week. 
And then the other, you know, I'm not expecting this. I'm expecting Barty and Kvitova to play in the quarterfinals. But if uh, Siniakova can upset Kvitova in, in round one, she could make a run. And remember, Siniakova took out Naomi Osaka at Roland Garros last year. You know, there's talent there. There, there is there is serious game more than a number of the other unseated players in this top quarter. So, you know, Siniakova and Kasakina, if they get by their seeded opponents in round one, if they can spring upsets there, then the next few rounds they can get on a roll. So th- those are some possibilities. Last year, four of the top eight seeds ended up making uh, the quarterfinals. You look at the names that didn't. Serena Williams, the number 16 seed, I feel like, you know, her making the quarterfinals in that spot over number one seed Simona Halep. Uh, not the biggest upset in the world. You look at the other players, number 15 seed Ashley Barty, given what we know now, that's not surprising at all. And then the other two unseeded players were Anastasia Pavlchenkova and Danielle Collins, who both obviously went on uh, to the 2019 seasons that they had. So, I have to say, Sinyakova makes sense to me. Uh, that is the one maybe you could see, but I, I do not see many upsets in this uh, in this portion of the draw. I will say, in terms of first-round matches to watch, I think the, the two upsets that have potential to transpire uh, is that Sinyakova-Kvitova match as well as that Kasakina-Madison Keys. Uh, you mentioned Mikhail and Martic as well. That was going to be one of my sneaky favorite matches. But I think my favorite first-round match in this section of the draw is the Herzog-Petterson match. Uh, what, what would you say are the two favorite first rounds for uh, for you, Matt? I think the uh, Gurgis-Kuzmova match, that, that promises fireworks, and you don't know which direction that match is going to go. So I, I, that, that would be on my short list. And then uh, Allison Risk against... Wang Yafan, that that also seems to have a lot of intrigue. I mean, I would certainly take risk uh, to win that match, but um, hardly hardly a lock. Um, So those are those are two matches that catch my eye in that top quarter. Yeah, and I think it's a really fun section. And as we go on and on. Uh, because of the parity between all of these women. It, this has the section to produce some really funky results. There are a lot of talented players, so let's get right to it. Uh, the predictions for this portion of the draw, Matt, who do you have emerging to the fourth round and ultimately making the quarterfinals out of this section? Uh, quarterfinals and semifinals, excuse me. Well, I, I think I think we're going to get a Barty Kvitova um, quarterfinal, and you know the one thing I would hesitate to say, though, is you know, of all the players that might be susceptible to the weather conditions, if they do play outdoor tennis, Kvitova, you know, that, that is a, that is a concern. Uh, so, you know, we, that's something we do have to monitor, but I, you know, if the conditions are, you know, reasonably playable, uh, I, I really like this draw for both of the, uh, the top seeded players in this quarter. See, I expect for first prediction of the year, Matt, I'm not going to lie, a little bit boring. I expected more out of you. I was waiting for that Alexandrova, or who's also, by the way, had a fantastic start to her season. She, I believe, won the first week of the year, um, if not in, I think she was the winner in Shenzhen. She ended up knocking off Rybakina, uh, two and four in that final. She's a dangerous floater in this section, someone who I could see knocking off Petra Kvitova in that third round. 
Maria Sakari versus Madison Keys third round is the match I want to see most out of this section. I think Risk Barty rematch, as you mentioned, would be a lot of fun. Uh, I think the you know the third rounds here will be an absolute grind. I'll take Barty in the fourth round to play Allison Risk. I think that ah. Uh, no, I'm going to take an upset. I'm going to take Barty to play Julia Gurgis in that fourth round. The winner playing the winner of... Uh, do I go with Keys or Sakari here, Matt? I want to be creative. Ah, I don't want to be too creative. I'm going to go with Madison Keys, who's going to end up playing Petra Kvitova. I'll take a Barty-Keys matchup. And I'm going to roll with Madison Keys. I think Madison Keys has spent all offseason, you know, end of decade, everyone saying, well, she's the American woman who I were shocked she hasn't won a slam. And given that the Anisimovas, the Kennans, the Goths of the world are already on her trail, are, are we done with Madison Keys? Are we ready to move on from her? I think that's ridiculous. I think the level we saw from Madison Keys uh, in Brisbane to start the year, she played so well, really played a terrible first set against Pliskova in that final and rallied back to almost steal that match uh, the way she knocked out Petra Kvitova in that semifinals 3-6-6-2-6-3 served her way out of trouble hit big in the big moments moved well around the courts and I think for Madison Keys especially because we don't know the conditions her being able to rely on that big serve being able to win easy points for herself that's going to be even more essential this year in Australia than uh, in previous years I'm going to take her to emerge the semifinals out of this section, and I don't feel like it's that big of a risk, Matt. Uh, well, okay, it's not that big of a risk in the sense that, you know, there, we do not have heavyweight, dominant, you know, Serena 2017-like players, Serena 2015-like players. I mean, every pick in the WTA, or nearly every pick in the in the current WTA landscape we have is not that big of a risk because we 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 saw the uh, the parity and the variety and the lack of players carrying results at one major to the next major last year. So in that sense, it's not that big of a risk. And 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 Keys is an entirely reasonable pick. I would I would only make the note in support of a Barty Kvitova quarterfinal is that if the you know the air conditions aren't overpowering and their conditions are reasonably playable. The fact that he's just beat Kvitova and that risk beat Barty at Wimbledon, the revenge factor for Barty and Kvitova, mm. you know, in, which, in, which, in which an athlete says, okay, you got me, now I'm going to get you. It might, you know, that, that little factor might be worth just an extra pinch of performance that will make the difference in close matches between those players if we get them. See, now we're talking, Matt. That was much better. After the boring Barty Kvitova pick, that's the sort of insights juice that I've grown to expect and love from you. I'll say this in response. Madison Keys, her last nine hardcourt slams, hasn't done worse than the fourth round. So I, you know, I was ready to pick that Sakari upset pick over her. I do think at the very least she'll get a shot at Kvitova or whomever comes out of that section now. If Kvitova's upset, that obviously benefits her. But I just think Madison Keys on a hard court is about as sure of a thing to reach the second week in the WTA Slam uh, singles range as you can find, given, again, all of the parity we see. So I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to roll with Madison Keys, although I do acknowledge your point. Although, if they go indoors, Madison Keys serving indoors, I feel like that benefits her, Matt. It certainly would. And that's another variable that we have to be 
ready for. You know, we don't know what Tennis Australia is going to do with these schedules. That it's, it's worth underlining that point. We don't know how much or how often Tennis Australia is going to adjust the conditions. Uh, but if it does, you know, various players, I mean, you know, obviously on the men's side, you know, Djokovic and Federer would love to have more indoor matches. Um, but so, and on the women's side, yes, put Madison Keys in indoor conditions. That could be a difference maker for her. Now, of course, if she plays Kvitova indoors, I think Kvitova would, would, would really like that. So lots of those balls in the air. And yeah, anyone who's following this tournament needs to be prepared to realize, oh, how would indoor conditions, you know, if there's a lot of outdoor smoke and, and, and dirt, and um, how, you know, how is that going to change the equation? So again, it's not a normal major, and we have to be ready for some uh, plot twists. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. And it's always fun to kick off our 2020 Grand Slam season, but it does feel like uh, going into this one, given the extracurricular things going on there, there are many, many questions to be asked and a lot of answers to be had for us as the play gets ready to get going. But with that in mind, let's move on to our next section. Again, we're going from top to bottom here on the draw. Uh, let's look at the Naomi Osaka portion. Naomi Osaka, the number three seed, the defending champion here. You look at the seeds that she lines up within her section of the draw. The number 32 uh, seed, Striskova, would be her first seeded player should they both advance. The number 24 seed, Sloane Stevens, who I'm sure we're going to talk about on upset alert in a moment. The number 14 seed, Sophia Kennan. The 12 seed, Joe Conta. 23 seed, Diana Yastremska. The number 27 seed in Wong. Uh, and of course, the number 8 seed in her section, and I'm sure the quarterfinal all fans are hoping for, uh, Serena Williams to round out the Osaka seeds in this portion of the draw. And let's start there, Matt. The seeds in this section that you have on upset alert that you could see losing before that second week. I think you have to go straight to two players, Sloan Stevens and Joe Conta. Um, Sloan Stevens, that's not so much her opponent because her biggest opponent is often herself. We need, we need to see Sloan Stevens maturely handle uh, big tournament situations this year. And then, uh, you know, I can just very easily see Ons Jabur uh, blasting a, 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 an inconsistent Joe Conta off the court. Uh, th- those those two matchups scream upsets in round one. Oh, could not agree more. And I think we should do the Sloan Stevens thing. And I, I know people have been piling on to her as of late, but the number 24 seed has gotten off to certainly uh, not the start, you know, the worst possible start for her in this 2020 season. A first round loss in Brisbane in three sets to Samsonova. She goes to Adelaide, loses in three uh, in straight sets to Rodianova, two and two. I mean, this dates back to her struggles at the end of last season where, you know, she wasn't advancing past the quarterfinals I think she's lost something of it's like I think she's got three wins littered in there but it's like three of her last 10 matches just things have not been going well for Sloane Stevens and in her opponent here I mean she faces someone who has been playing well who has had results uh, thus far in this year uh, in terms of what Zhang has done uh, I believe she made in Hobart uh, the finals before losing to Rybakina 6-3 and three. she played Shenzhen the week before that ended up making the round of 16 there so not great but she does have wins under her belt I think this is the most obvious upset alert of the tournament Matt I completely agree with you there um I, I do like the Jabour Kanta 
selection as well, just because we haven't really seen much from Joe Conta this year. Um, but yeah, uh, outside of those two, uh, I do see the seeds primarily uh, moving forward. I guess, you know, in terms of that Caroline Garcia-Madison Brangle matchup, even if Conta does move by Jabour, that it continues to stay tough for her. Should Sloane Stevens advance by Zhang, I think a potential Katie McNally round two matchup, Katie McNally's been playing so well of late, uh, gets tougher and tougher. I also think the winner of Venus Williams, Coco Goff, if they end up knocking off number 32 seed Striskova, that would not shock me at all. Um, but overall, this is a really interesting section because you do have two players in Osaka and Serena, uh, who I certainly think, uh, are by many people's standards, two of the favorites to win this event. And then there are some other really fun stories as well. You have someone in Diana Yastremska, the 23-seeded 19-year-old, uh, who has continued to raise her level of play over these past six months. And then maybe one of the un, you know, the unsung stories of the tournament and something that will certainly get more and more play as the event wears on. Caroline Wozniacki playing her final Grand Slam in her first match. She's unseated here. Uh, she's going to play Christy on the winner of that, likely to play the number 23 seed, Diana Yastremska. Uh, these are all s- stories to monitor in this section of the draw, and I'm sure people would love to see one more Wozniacki-Serena matchup. But, Matt, you look at the unseated players that can make the second week in this portion, and I hate to say it, but I do not have Caroline Wozniacki on that list. Do you? No, I mean not not since she's going to have to play very likely Yastremska uh in in, uh, in the second round uh that that that's going to be very hard for her uh to get past. I would actually say that Jabour because of because if I I I am going to pick her to beat Conta. Uh I think if mm-hmm. Jabour gets past uh that first round that she can get on a get on a run uh and, and get into the second week and then uh the other, the other pick would be Zhang Shui uh, going against Sloane Stevens. That you know she she could she could make some noise at this tournament as well. I mean those those would be the unseated players. I'd give a real chance at going to the second week. You know, so just to be clear, Zhang is in the Stevens Kennan section, so not the Osaka section. That's why you know. So you're not going to get an unseated player getting out of the Osaka uh, Stritsova uh, subsection, and you're not going to get an unseated player coming out of the Wang Kiang Serena subsection. It's only going to be from the uh, the uh, Kanta and Kennan subsections where you might get an unseated player getting into the round of 16. The thing is, I really like Ali Van Utvenik, and I know she's not going to beat Serena. Uh, I, I just... I just wanted to throw that out there because I think she, if it, as unseated in a different subsection of the draw as you referenced, she's a floater. She's dangerous. She's, you know, someone you definitely do not want to run into given the way she ended her 2019 and how confident she's been playing of late. Um, but it's funny because two of the unseated players you did not mention, the two players who probably may be the biggest draw of the women's draw in terms of first-round matches, another unseated match uh, between... 
Coco Goff, who obviously the 15-year-old American took the tennis world by storm with the way she ended her 2019 season, taking on Venus Williams. And, you know, for Venus, another decade, you know, Serena has now won titles in four decades. Well, you know, Venus Williams has been playing right alongside of her throughout those four decades. You never know when it's going to be, if or not, it's going to be Venus's last season on tour. Uh, You look at that match, and I think some people would say, oh, you look at the winner there and maybe the winner there can go on a little bit of a run where do you put both Venus and Coco uh in terms of where you hold them in the draw uh, heading into this one well it's just that Osaka is going to be uh like um a Roldis Chapman of the New York Yankees in the ninth <laughs> inning a stopper you know Osaka is the big bad stopper who's just going to halt any run they might want to make I mean let's remember we had Osaka against Coco Goff in the third round of the U.S. Open, and it wasn't particularly close. And does anyone seriously think that Goff has evolved to the point that she's ready to beat Osaka? I mean, that that's not a criticism of Goff. I mean, you know, heck, she's still in her mid-teens. It's going to take some time for Goff to develop into being that kind of player. So that's not a commentary on Goff, uh, you know, the player or the the kind of coaching she's getting. It's just a reality that she is her evolutionary arc. She's not there and she's not going to be there and we shouldn't expect her to be there. So, I mean, even if Coco beats Venus again, she, you know, she, you have Osaka there in the third round as the stopper and it would be similar for Venus Williams. Um, you know, we, we, we had Venus create that majestic 2017 season and then though, there's this thing called old age, you know, so she's slowing down. Doesn't mean she can't bounce back in 2020 because she's Venus Flippin' Williams. You know, she's she is an, an, an icon, a legend. She, it is in her nature to do amazing things, but we certainly wouldn't expect her to beat Osaka in the third round. So, you know, it would it would be a feel good story. We'd all love it. But, you know, as I keep saying, you know, you, you might want uh, Coco Goff to make the second round and create an absolute sensation. Hey, I want $10 million. We can want various things. Doesn't mean they're going to happen. <laughs> well, I'll say this. If Osaka is a role this Chapman, does that make Patrick Mortelou the Houston Astros front office and that he's definitely going to need to steal some signals if he wants to hit the walk-off here? I feel like that is the only path for Coco Goff or Venus Williams. Uh because I agree with you. I just, I don't think either of them at this point in their careers are ready to compete with someone playing as well as Naomi Osaka, uh, who we saw, I think it was in Brisbane, uh, that first week of the year, make the semifinals as well. Uh, she knocked off Kiki Bertens in three sets in the quarterfinals. She knocked off Sophia Kennan in three sets in the round of 16 before losing in three uh, to Karolina Pliskova. So, and the serve looked really good for Naomi Osaka in those first weeks. So I agree. She's probably my favorite uh, entering this section. You talked about uh, favorite first round. Uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious that Goff Venus is going to get a lot of attention, but I think Zhang Stevens, uh, another really fun one because of the upset alert. Katie McNally, Sam Stozer, two players at completely different portions of their careers right now, uh, battling it out in the first round. I'll watch Sophia Kennan play any match. I, I mentioned Brangle Garcia. I think Christian Caroline Wozniacki is a really fun one as well. Hard to narrow it to two, but if you had to, Matt, give me your two favorite first round matches in this section. 
Well, so you have to go with Coco against Venus. I mean, that you know that is just a special, a special match, and the fact that they played at Wimbledon doesn't make it any less special. So, so that that's a big highlight. Uh, and then uh, I, I think Fiona Farrow against Law and Order AVU. Um, that that uh, that is a very compelling first round matchup as well. Uh, you know, and, and I, when when I look at a compelling first round matchup. Uh, it's a matchup between players with, you know, reasonable talent who have, you know, some shot at going on a run. So, you know, it's not, it's not a contained matchup. It's not a matchup that where, you know, the, the, the person who wins that has no future in the rest of the tournament. Uh, there's a chance that one of them could get on a run and you don't know how the match is going to go. So, um, that, that, that is another match that in, in that quarter that could have some fireworks. Yeah, a lot of firepower in this section of the draw. There's no denying that. Uh, and with all that firepower, it makes it tough to make predictions, but that's what we want to do to end up the section, Matt. So it's the Serena Osaka section. I think there's no doubt, as anticipated as Goth Venus is, that the idea of getting a Serena Osaka quarterfinal match to determine a, someone in the semifinals, that's what tennis fans have been looking for ever since these two played for the first time in that U.S. Open final a couple of years ago. Do you think we're going to get a rematch, Matt? Do you think Naomi and Serena are on a collision course, or do you think one of these talented seeds uh, upsets the party, you know, kind of kind of ruins things and makes things end up a little bit different? I do not see... Well, I think the only threat, the only real threat to uh, get you know getting in the way of Serena Osaka is Sophia Kennan. Um, you know, she she we we saw how well she played, how, how much she improved in 2019. Um, you know, that there was a compelling match in Cincinnati with um, Osaka. You know, who was injured, having to uh, retire in the third set. Uh, but, uh, you know, so Kennan is not going to give Osaka an easy match. I mean, I mean you, w- one thing we can count on from Sophia Kennan is that she will make you earn it. She will make you walk over the hot coals of pressure. She will ask more and more questions that you have to continue to answer. I think Osaka, in good health, you know, will be ready to answer those questions. But, you know, it won't be a cakewalk. You know, this will not be a three-and-two Demolition. It's probably going to be something more like a six-four, seven-five uh, scoreline. Could easily go three sets. Uh, I was. I, I do though trust Osaka to get through that match. But you, I also just as readily acknowledge that Kenan could get in the way. But that's the, that's the only real threat I see. So you have Osaka taking on Serena. Who do you have winning that affair? I have Serena. I think that. Uh, Getting that match in the quarterfinals as opposed to a final, which has been Serena's kryptonite in recent years, I think that uh, that would actually help Serena. I think it would be more; it would be just another match, or at least it would feel a little bit more like just another match. And I think Serena would have the right tunnel vision. I also think that you know last year we had that ankle roll uh, and and Serena losing to Pliskova after having match point. So that's going to be uh, a, an aspect of motivation that Serena's going to have internally. Um, so I, I, I think that she'll be ready to face the Osaka challenge. Uh, I, I would pick her in that match. 
You mentioned the Sophia Kennan-Osaka potential fourth-round battle. Uh, worth mentioning that they played three times last year. Kennan losing two and five in the French— or, Sorry, they played two times last year, but three times total. Kennan lost to Osaka two and five at the 2018 French Open first round in Cincinnati last year. Kennan ended up winning that match after Osaka pulled out in the third set. And then this year in Brisbane, Osaka 6-7-6-3-6-1 winner. So much like you mentioned in our first quarter with Kvitova Keys, you know Sophia Kennan has that match circled. That's the matchup she wants. Probably, I mean, would she object if, uh, you know, Coco Goff or someone knocks off uh, Naomi Osaka? Probably not, but, you know, that's a rematch she is looking forward to as well. Uh, I do think those are the three players you mentioned um, in Serena, Kennan, and Osaka who really could uh, make some noise here, but one player you didn't mention, and someone you know I'm quite fond of, number 23 seed Diana Yastrzemska, who looked so good in making the final last week in Adelaide. I know she lost that match to Barty, but to knock off a red-hot Sapolinka, who was hitting the ball as hard as anyone, uh, four and six in that semifinal. In the quarterfinal, Yastrzemska looked really good, knocking off Donna Vekic as well, four and three, and then she knocked off a hobbled Kerber before that, so that result take with a grain of salt. I think Diana Yastrzemska could absolutely play the role of spoiler here. I just think someone that young with that much firepower who also moves as well as she does, there's there's also a fearlessness right now, a recklessness about her. That's it, It's a constructive recklessness, though, the fact that she is not afraid to go big on any stroke because she really believes she can make every ball, track every single one down, hit that ridiculous cross-court forehand behind her opponent to keep them off balance and beat them to the spot. So not only do I think Diana Yastrzemska is going to end Caroline Wozniacki's final Grand Slam. Oh, I want to pick her upsetting Serena so badly. Just so badly, Matt. Um, if you think uh, it's going to happen, you should do it. Uh, I'm going to save that spice for later. Maybe on a mini break when we're recapping and previewing that day's match, um, I will pick the upset then. For now... Uh, I took keys... I think Serena's in a good place. You know, she had a good warm-up week. She's healthy. You know, really doesn't have any of the uncertainties that she carried into Wimbledon and also the U.S. Open. You know, she was not fully fit heading into the U.S. Open either. Uh, Still made the finals in those tournaments. You know, I just think that her mind and her body are right. And as long as they stay right, she's still Serena Williams and she's still you know, a a good bet to make the final of, of the, the biggest tournaments that she plays. So I, I really have uh, very little distrust of, of Serena. Uh, I think that Osaka versus Kennan, the way that matchup has unfolded in recent months, you know, dating back to last summer, I think there's more uncertainty about that matchup than uh, Serena versus Yastrzemska. Yeah, that's fair. And again, the thing Serena has above all else is that serve. You're absolutely right. She can hit you out of your comfort zone as she's been doing now for four decades. She did have a really good start. 
Ah, uh, fine. You've convinced me. I'll take Serena over Osaka in that quarterfinal match as well to set up a little All-American Key Serena semifinal on my top half. Uh, obviously, yours a little bit different, although I don't think anyone would argue with a Barty Serena uh, semifinal as well. But with that in mind, let's move to our bottom half of the draw. Again, we're going just sections from top to bottom, so the one we hit next. Our number four seed section, Simona Halep, really interesting section here, Chris, in my opinion. You look at the seeds uh, to start off where we're at. You have, obviously, the number four seed, Halep, her immediate seed, probably something she saw in the draw and thought, ugh, nishkit, which is, of course, Yiddish for not good. Uh, the number 26 seed, Danielle <laughs> Collins, uh, who um, you look at for Danielle Collins, played so well. Last week, I, I cannot emphasize this enough in Adelaide. You couldn't hit a ball to to either wing. If you floated anything, she was going to rip it for a winner. She knocked off Spinalina in her first week of the season, but last week again looked better and better in wins over Sasnovich in the first round. Absolutely annihilated Sophia Kennan. I'm not trying to be disrespectful for Kennan, but simply put, Danielle Collins again played that well. Three and one in the round of 16. Three and one over Benchich in the quarterfinals, and then uh, that three set loss to Ashley Barty. Six three, uh, or sorry, three six one. Three six six one seven six in Barty's favor. I, that's a, a really fun potential third round as well. But you look at the rest of the seeds quickly to go through. The number twenty seed Carolina Mukova, the number sixteen seed Elise Mertens, the eleven seed Arnia Sabalenka, uh, the nineteen seed Donna Vekic takes on Maria Sharapova. The wild card here in the first round, the number twenty eight seed Annette Conteve, and then of course the number six seed Belinda Bencic. So dare I say, Matt? couple of seeds on upset alert in this first week in this portion of the draw. This is the, you know, in, in recent WTA major tournaments, we have usually had one, maybe two quarters, which have been especially loaded. Uh, and, you know, this in this draw, that second quarter that we've just finished talking about with Serena and Osaka and Kennan and Yastremska, you know, that is the most loaded of the four Quarters. So when you get one quarter that's more loaded, you have another quarter that's less loaded. And, and, and that less loaded quarter is that wide open quarter where you have no flipping idea what's mm-hmm. going to happen. So this third quarter of the draw, this is the quarter in which I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. I mean, it's just it, this, is, this is the blindfold yourself, throw a dart, see where it lands. <laughs> That, this is that quarter of the draw. I mean, I, I have no feel for what's going to happen in this part of the draw. Uh, my tennis with an accent colleague, Mert Ertunga, Murtov's T-Desk on Twitter, uh, he's high on Karolina Mukova. Uh, he, he thinks that Mukova could be able to get into the second week and uh, maybe even reach as far as the semifinals here. Uh, that's a reasonable pick. And pretty much any of six or, or to eight other players making the semifinals would be a reasonable pick. I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced uh, by the form I've seen from Simona Halep, and we, none of us knows how Belinda Bencic is going to follow up her U.S. Open semifinal run. You know, if this year is going to witness a higher sustained floor in terms of how well she plays on a regular tournament-to-tournament basis, so, Alex, I just have to say, you know, you know, and, and, and at the U.S. Open, when Tennis with an Accent did uh, its staff picks, 
And by the way, we're not doing staff picks for this Australian Open just because of the weather conditions uh, and how that casts a cloud over the event. We, we, we don't want to really do too much hyping in advance. So we're not doing staff picks at tennis with an accent. But uh, at the 2019 U.S. Open, when we did our staff picks, my regular answer was, I don't have a clue. And, and I'm just, <laughs> just going to level with you because, you know, it would be a disservice to cracked rackets. If I said, oh, well, this player is definitely to be the favorite over that player, or this player is definitely more vulnerable than that player, I don't think we can make those kinds of assessments in this quarter of the draw. I mean, think about it. Let's say Donna Vekic plays Arena Sabalenka in the third round. You know what's going to happen in that match? No, I'm they, so they glad you... Histories? Do you have any real... Is there any real historical basis for predicting that match? Because... These, neither player has a developed history of overcoming specific challenges in week one of major tournaments. I mean, there's just that, that is the kind of match we have in, in this quarter of the draw. It's a match where there's no real foundation or template for picking one player over another. So this is the shrug, whelp emoji uh, you know, throw your hands in the air. I, I am just, I would be lying if I said I had a clear idea. So I don't want to project to listeners of this fine podcast uh, that I have an idea about this quarter of the draw. No, that makes me really happy because now we get to play a game of uh, possible or Alex, you're effing crazy because I could not agree with you more. Uh, I'm going to throw some scenarios out at you and you tell me if you believe they're possible. Uh, Iga Swatik. Um, I- going to say they're all possible yeah like if i told you iga swatik knocks off sabalenka in the second round knocks off vekic in the third round and finds herself in the fourth round i feel like that's very feasible very possible yeah and if i told you annette conteve returns to form she goes on a run here she ends up finding herself in the quarterfinals or semifinals again very possible and so I agree with you. I think this hashtag, section... Hashtag we. <laughs> well, I just think this is the Anchorman 2 or Anchorman 3 section, right? Where all the uh, people, all the local news teams are brawling in the courtyard. And it's just like, oh, I guess Will Smith, because he has the... Tri- Will Smith. I guess Will Farrell because he has the trident, like... He's going to win this one. Like It literally could come down to whomever's left standing. That's, I mean, that's obviously how it works. But, you know, yeah. you look at the seeds on upset alert, and they're all on upset alert because – except for maybe Benchich. Okay. So, so we have, uh, you know, thir- so 32 players in a quarter exist in a quarter of a major tournament draw because you have 128 for the full field. So let's just run down the names. Benchich, Shmidlova, Samsonova, Ostapenko – Okay, not okay. I don't think Cerebes Tormo has a chance of getting to uh, the second week. But then Kudermetova, Sharma, Contivate, Vekic, Sharapova, Cornet, Niculescu, Fiatek, Babosh, Suarez Navarro, Sabalenka, Mertens. Okay, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't say that Danka Kovinich uh, has a chance of getting to week two. But then Kristina Pliskova, Heather Watson, CC Bellis back in action, Tatyana Maria. Kirsten Flipkins, Karolina Mukova, Collins, all right, not Natalia Diachenko, Poots, Shea Suwei, okay, not Harriet Dart, not Misaki Doi, Jennifer Brady played excellent tennis you know, in, mm-hmm. the, in the warm-ups before the Australian Open, Halep, 
I mean, so just offhand, I didn't do an exact 27. Count. 27 of 32 have a shot. And I, there you that's go. crazy. Yeah, 27 players in a quarter <laughs> week two. And it wouldn't be that much of a shot. That's crazy. No. And it's why this section is my favorite section because there are so many scenarios you can entertain. I'm, I'm like, the crazy thing is, again, if Danielle Collins carries her level over from last week to this week, uh, you can say goodbye, Simona Hallett, because Danielle Collins has been playing that well. But at the same thing, Shea Sue Wei, there there's a world where she knocks off Collins second round. Where it's just like her variety, her spin throws Collins off of her strike zone. And Danielle Collins, who's defending semifinal points here, let's keep that in mind. The 26th seed has a lot on the line heading into this tournament where she just loses like second round. And it's just like, okay, that Danielle Collins story is over. And it's all possible here. And it's, again, why this section is so fun. And so you look at the unseeded players in this portion. Uh, you said you don't know. If you had to make a bet on one, maybe two unseeded players, who would you say could make the second week of this group? And I know we just went through. It could be any of them. But if you're just picking two, Matt. Uh, so uh, Ostapenko in that in that top portion. Really? In the benches. Well, hey, what do we know about Ostapenko? Is that you know she's not likely to make a run, but 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 at any time. You know, at any time that you know the, she could find the spark, that that it's in the nature of her to be that way, that she'll get on a run out of nowhere. So that that's one choice. And then whoever wins the Poots Shea first round match, you know the the winner of that could easily beat Collins and then Halep. I mean, of course, Shea Suwei beat Halep at Wimbledon a few years ago. So I mean, th- th- those are two obvious choices. You you can't really go wrong. Also with Iga Swiatek, whom whom you mentioned, that that's another uh, obvious choice. Uh, so th- th- there's plenty to choose from here. Yeah, it, it would be it would be too easy, as you mentioned. Uh, I do want to talk about Jennifer Brady, as you mentioned, because uh, Simona Halep, uh, Jennifer Brady, the number four seed, as we start to get into my two favorite first-round matches from this section, I would argue that that one probably is my favorite, uh, just because of, as you mentioned, how well Jennifer Brady has played of late. You look at her results uh, to start the season. Uh, No, she's not winning events, but she went to Brisbane, made the quarterfinals, knocking out uh, Sharapova in three sets, knocking out Ashley Barty in straight sets before losing two and four to Petra Kvitova. Uh, You date back, though, to what she did at the end of last season. Uh, She made, I think it was the round of 16 uh, at the China Open in Wuhan, uh, qualified there. Just has played better and better as of late, I think, in the... uh, in Cincinnati was when she had a good run. Am I wrong here? Went through qualifying, made the round of 32. The point is Jennifer Brady has shown a high level of tennis, and I think it's going to be a tough one for uh, Simona Halep as well. Uh, but for me, step, so if Brady— step, step, it, Let me step in here. Remember oh, that Brady and Halep had a very close but yet volatile match in Toronto last summer. Uh, that's won- what it was. Halep led four love in the third set. Brady came right back to square the match at four all. And uh, Halep won it by a whisker. And so, you know, and another word about Mert Ertunga, um, when he did his Australian Open preview with us at Tennis with an Accent, he says that, you know, Jennifer Brady is one of the more overachieving uh, players on tour. And then a lot of American juniors and players coming up through the ranks 
should study her to see how she gets the most from her game. So that that's very noteworthy. Uh, you know, Mert had a lot of good things to say about Brady's demeanor on court that she doesn't uh, she doesn't uh, sag when when she goes through an in match period of adversity. She has the same outlook, the same mindset, and you know she doesn't give in competitively, uh, and that's why she maximizes a lot from her game. Uh, Mert had great things to say about Jen Brady's uh, tennis IQ as well. So w- worth noting that Jennifer Brady, relative to her skill set, gets more out of her game. Uh, you know, and, and you know when Mert Artunga says something, uh, I I agree. I tend to agree with it. I'm looking right now at the two, at the uh, 2014 UCLA women's tennis roster. I mean, they were freaking stacked. They had, you know, Jennifer Brady was not playing one singles. That's a testament to how good this team was. They had players uh, such as Kylie McPhillip, Chanel Van Wynn, Robin Anderson, all players who, if you were a fan of college tennis, you're well familiar with. But yeah, Jennifer Brady on that list as well, someone who is certainly uh, someone to watch. Uh, my other favorite first-round match, and then I, I want to ask you for your two, I would probably say it's, it's going to be really fun to see CeCe Bellis back in action. Uh, but that Donna Vekic, Maria Sharapova matchup, that just screams really fun affair because it's too play you know for Maria Sharapova obviously at this point of her career it's all sugar on top of what was outside of maybe this the performance enhancing substance issue which we can surely litigate at a different time uh one heck of a career obviously now for Donna Vekic she's part of that cohort 23 24 years old not quite young enough to be considered next gen but not quite old enough to be considered past their prime you know she is smack dab in the middle of what should be the heart of her tennis career, an early win over Maria Sharapova, even if Sharapova doesn't play at the same level she once did, what that does for Vekic's confidence, you could see her go on a, a run in what is otherwise a really tricky section. Um, what about you, Matt? What are your two favorite first-rounders in this section? And then ultimately, your predictions, if you can make any for this side. Uh, you know, Poots against Shea Suwei, That that is just a fascinating intriguing matchup in which you're not going to see cookie cutter rallies. You're going to see all sorts of uh, interesting angles and spins. And moreover, the winner of that match, again, when I look at good first rounders, it's can, can the winner of that match go on a run? That's part of my first round formula. So Poots and Shea, definitely part of that. I mean, lot, lots of good choices here. Uh, I think that also Carlos Suarez Navarro, Against Arena Sabalenka, I mean that that is a that is a first rounder packed with uh, a lot of good hitting and two players who can definitely get into the second week. I mean Suarez Navarro has made the quarterfinals at the Australian Open before, and of course this is a huge major tournament for Sabalenka for reasons we don't really need to explain. So I mean those are two excellent matches. I mean you know Beckett Sharapova, that's a popcorn match. Uh, but uh, Suarez Navarro, Sabalenka, and uh, Poots against Shea, those, those, you know, those are two excellent first rounders. Yeah, now, I think this is just going to be a really fun section in general, as has been the theme, because anything goes. And so in terms of anything goes, let's get a prediction out of you. What are you thinking as we head into uh, this this uh, this section of the draw. Who do you see emerging to that fourth round quarterfinal range and ultimately the semifinalist we get from this portion? Well, uh, I, I see uh, 
I see four players going to the round of 16, and I see two players going to the quarterfinals, and I see one player going to the semifinals. But what the names of those players are, I have no idea. <laughs> well, that's a cop-out, so I'll try and do the you know heavy what? lifting. I it might be a cop-out, but it's an honest cop-out, baby. <laughs> Which is all I can ask for. Um, I, I, should I should I lie and say, oh, Benchich, easy. Again, this is the shrug my shoulders whelp emoji quarter. So I <laughs> I just be I would be I would not be telling Crack Rackets listeners the straight truth, my honest views, if I said, Oh yes, Belinda Benchich, sure. Well, I, I just think as people who cover the sport of tennis, I feel like we've both been looking for a moment, Matt, over these past couple of years to been like, man, I think this is to me a Babos's time. And like, this was your chance to give Babos <laughs> a shout out. And of course, you let that pass. Um, but um, I, I just want to I just want to emphasize this. Sometimes pundits say something for the sake of saying something. And, and in punditry, commentary, analysis. I think fans respect someone who says, you know what? I don't know bleepity bleep about this. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. I think, I think so, commentators need to be willing to say that more often. Now, I mean, it can't be a universal default setting or response. <laughs> I get that. But once in a while, you need to say, you know what? I don't know bleep. And so, right the third quarter, I don't know bleep. So I agree with you. I think nuance has died in 21st century journalism. I think that's obvious to anyone who tries to read as much sports journalism as they can. And I don't need to tell that to you. You're an editor. Uh, You know very well uh, pieces without nuance can be, to lack of a better term, terrible. Um, That being said, I feel like we spent the first, you know, the 10, 15 minutes on this section doing a good enough job explaining that it's a free-for-all. So I hope our listeners to this section of the you know this portion of the draw people have made it this far know to take these predictions with a grain of salt that being said I've been on the Belinda Benchich is getting her first grand slam as soon as possible train for you know I think the past three or four slams even uh since we saw her stay healthy win that tournament in Dubai make I think it was finals of Indian Wells last year uh stretch I've mentioned repeatedly in our off-season previews I just think she's playing really well, and I know she lost to Danielle Collins, but I- I'm telling you, I watched that match, and 3-1 and one says one thing, but Belinda Benchich played really well. It's just on every ad point, every deuce point, Danielle Collins would just slap a backhand winner, just literally out of nowhere, and that ben- that Benchich was able to win 7-6, 7-6 over Gurgis the round before uh, was the sort of problem-solving, was the sort of I need to win while not playing my best tennis sort of match that you need at least one, two, maybe maybe even three of to make your way through a Grand Slam. And I just think the time is now for Belinda Bencic. Osaka has her first slam. Bianca Andreescu has her first slam. I think those are the peers Belinda Bencic is going to measure herself against the most. I mean, even Ashley Barty, who's a year older, she's got a slam as well. Bencic belongs in that crew. She belongs in the discussion right alongside of those three others. And as much as I like a Vekic, uh, as much as I like a Sabalenka, who, again, if, if Sabalenka is hitting the serve in the forehand well, Good luck, everyone else in this portion of the draw. Good luck, you know, Iga Swatek, who I will be a fan of. Good luck, Danielle Collins and Simona Halep, who I honestly had forgotten were in this draw, Matt. And now I'm totally reconsidering that entire rant. Um, 
Oh. You, you, you All right. Try hard to be creative at times. You know, tennis <laughs> is not tennis is not a French art school. That's true, but uh, look, I it's this, on I'm going to say this about this third quarter: if you're going to get a first-time major semifinalist, you know, we these these WTA majors, they they've relatively consistently cranked out a first-time major semifinalist over the past four or five years. This is the quarter of the draw most likely to deliver it. So if it's going to be someone new, it's going to be either Vekic or it's going to be um, – uh, what about they Daniel? Would, they would be first-time major semifinalists if they did, if they got what that. About, did you get to watch any of Daniel Collins over these first two weeks of the year? No, but, I mean, the score lines were absurd. I mean, you know, she she and she can get in zones like that. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, the, the thing with Collins is – she wasn't under any pressure at these warm-up events, but she will well, be pressure at the Australian Open. So, see, my counterpoint to that is she was under pressure. It's kind of like, kind of like you go through the NBA regular season. Uh, mm-hmm. Daniel Collins is the Denver Nuggets of, <laughs> of the Australian Open. You know, it's easy for the Denver Nuggets to pile up the NBA regular season wins, but then you get into the playoffs, and it's a whole different animal. And you know, they buckled. Uh, in in the playoffs last year, and uh, so that 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 could be Daniel Collins in this Australian Open. I mean, no, Daniel Collins Collins is the if Collins roared past Halep, you know, and stayed stayed on a run, wouldn't be terrifically surprising. But would I expect Collins uh, to do that? No. See uh, the counter. I I don't think she's the Nuggets. I think she's the Russell Westbrook Thunder, and that she's just going to overwhelm you with sheer power, athleticism. Just she is going to triple double you off the court. She could go nine of thirty from the field and and exactly exactly pointers. She is the WTA's Russell Westbrook. It's all clear to me now. Um, and so. You talk about that no pressure. I think there was a lot of pressure on her to get some points on her resume at the very end before the semifinal Australian Open points come off the board. All right, I'm making a pick so that we can move on. I'm going to take Belinda Bencic to advance to the semifinals here. I'm going to have her beating... I'm going to have her beating... I'm going to stick with Danielle Collins. She's been playing so well. I can't go on that rant and not back it up. So give me uh, Benchich over Collins to advance as our third semifinalist. That being said, only one section left to go here. And I don't want to give away my entire pick, but I will say for Carolina Pliskova to win another title in the warm-up for this year's Australian Open, she enters as the number two seed here. We've all been brokenhearted from her too many times at these slams. And yet I'm just going to say it again. You look at her last couple of slams uh, at these at the um, Australian Open, she's gotten better and better here uh, in her first, I think, deep run at the Australian Open came 2017 quarterfinals 2018 quarterfinals last year semifinals you look at her last seven results on a hard court slam finals of the US Open quarterfinals of both AO and US Open quarterfinals of both Australia and US Open semifinals 2019 Australian Open fourth round last year US Open 
we everyone knows Carolina Pliskova on the hard courts is a threat when she plays her best tennis. She's going to look like at some point during the first week as though she's the player to beat, and then we get to that second week and all of the question marks start to come back. You look at her portion of the draw, the seeds here. We've got the number 30 seed, Pavlchenkova, who, as I mentioned, quarterfinalist at the Australian Open last year. The number 17 seed, Angelique Kerber, who comes into this event, certainly hobbled. The number 15 seed, Marketa Von Drusova, the lefty who uh, already knocked off, I think it was in the quarterfinals this week in Adelaide. It was a really good match. Uh, Barty just a little too much power for Von Drusova. She kept hitting backhand slice lobs over the Von Drusova high backhand volley. Uh, but Von Drusova uh, certainly a threat uh, in this tournament. On the top half there, you have the number nine seed Kiki Bertens, the number 21 seed Amanda Nisimova, the number 31 seed Se- uh, Sevastova, and of course the number five seed Alina Svitolina. You look at this section of the draw, Matt, A, the seed's on upset alert for you, but tell me this isn't Carolina Pliskova's section to lose. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I can't, I can't, because I think that Alina Spitalina, having made the semifinals at her last two majors, is the more ascendant player, the player who probably enters this tournament more than Pliskova, thinking that she is... If, if she hasn't gained the formula, she's closer to finding the formula for playing her best tennis in the most important matches. Uh, you know, Pliskova, that loss to Mukova at, at uh, Wimbledon, that was a real stinging loss. And, and that, that is something she has not decisively put behind her. Uh, I, I'm really fascinated by this quarter because if we get a Svitolina-Pliskova quarterfinal, you know that th- these will be the two best active WTA players, uh, which have not yet won a major. And so, how the pressure of that match, the stakes of that match, uh, will will create certain responses from both players. You know, Serena Osaka would be you know the ultimate blockbuster of the tournament in the quarterfinals. So that would overshadow Pliskova Svitolina if that happens. But in many ways, Pliskova Svitolina would have more urgency because neither player has won a major title. So, you know, that would be a, that would be a tremendous match if, if we get it. But if you had to compare those two, I know I would give Svitolina the edge uh, based on recent performance at majors. And I think that just the, the, the trajectory for Svitolina, you know, which was so bad entering Wimbledon last year, Svitolina really revised her year in a good way. You didn't really see that course correction from Pliskova, you know, who struggled a lot more. So I think that that Svitolina is is definitely on a higher plane. This is it's her quarter to lose, uh, not Pliskova's. Um, when we look at uh, uh, you know seeds on upset alert, I think you have to go right to Marketa Vondrushova uh, because she's playing Svetlana Kuznetsova in round one. I mean that that is a nasty draw. And then also Anastasia Sevastova um, going against Alia Tomjanovich. Um, Sevastova had a bad 2019 after a great 2018. We we don't know really where her game is. So that that is an that's another obvious uh, seed upset candidate in round one. Yeah, I, I think uh, in terms of some of these seeds for Amanda Nisimova playing Diaz. I mean, that's not an easy one. 
Uh, I think for Angelique Kerber, I, I'm just really interested to see uh, how healthy she is uh, because uh, she definitely did not end last week's tournament. She ended up losing to Yastrzemska, pulls out of that match in the second set. I think it was an ankle injury, right, that's been bothering her? Uh, yeah. Matt, I, yeah, and so, I mean, she's on upset alert. But I, I think at, at to the larger point, this is for Carolina Pliskova, uh, what I said about Madison Keys uh, earlier in this draw breakdown, uh, I think it applies for her even more so. I mean, how long, you know, the fact that Carolina Pliskova was probably the players of the 2010s that she left it without a Grand Slam title was probably the most surprising player of any. And of course, we talked about her when we did that Best of the Decade podcast a couple of months ago. I just... I, that first round match for Pliskova with Mladenovic will be tough. I mean, Coco Vandeweghe, of course, a former top 10 player. Her firepower, that's tough. Jessica Pigula or Pavel Chankova or even Taylor Townsend as a potential third round opponent is don't tough. Forget, don't forget Laura Siegeman. Yeah, or he, Laura Siegeman, who could Siegemann, knock out, who probably Siegemann is favored Siegemann to beat Vandeweghe. Siegeman almost beat Benchich in the second round of Roland Garros last year. I mean, she, she is a tough player. Uh, you know, very persistent opponent who, again, she's another one of those players who doesn't give you a lot of free points. She will make you earn it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And so just this section in general, there's a lot of different ways it can go. Of course, for Marketa Van Drusova, uh, who is a Grand Slam finalist on her own, uh, I mean, I'm not going to sell her short in that section of the draw. You could see a world where the lefty Van Drusova makes the fourth round easily to take on Pliskova. Uh, so that could be a—it's a, a, a really fun section. A lot of good players, of course, um, in our number five seed, Alina Svitolina. As you mentioned, she made the—her uh, past two slams have been semifinal performances, and you can throw her right, right in with Madison Keys in the a little too old to be considered next-gen, a little too young to be considered, you know, in her prime or maybe even past her prime. I mean, this is where it's go time for Alina Svitolina. So there is a world— I certainly see uh, with her uh, making a run here, getting herself to the semifinal. If you had to take an unseeded player in this section, Matt, to take a flyer on to make the second week, who would you choose? Lana Kuznetsova. I think that, uh, you know, she she showed, she reminded us how much game she has, still has uh, in Cincinnati uh, this past summer. Uh, so after a, after a reviving offseason, she comes in physically fresh. You know, I would not put it past her to get into week two and, and maybe even, you know, make a little even more noise than just merely getting to the round of 16. Yeah, I, I would add on to that. I agree. And say the winner of Townsend Pagula. I mean, could the winner of that knock off the 30 seed Pavlchenkova uh, in the second round? Could the winner of that even knock out whoever comes out of the Sigmund? Vandeweghe, Pliskova, Mladenovic section. Absolutely. We saw Taylor Townsend go on a run last uh, year at the U.S. Open. We saw Jessica Pegula already early this year make the final of the tournament in, I believe, it it was in Hobart. She made the final, uh, I want to say, in Auckland. Were they in Brisbane? Yes. It was Auckland. Yeah, it was in Auckland uh, where she ended up losing to Serena, but along the way knocked off Wozniacki in three sets, knocked off Alize Cornette, uh, knocked off players uh, 
as well in her first two matches. So she's been playing well. I love the variety from Taylor Townsend. I think it would give Pliskova all sorts of trouble. I do happen to think, though, that she doesn't have a big enough weapon to really extend Pliskova to the outer third. So I see Pliskova coming through in this section. I I know that's something I'm going to keep harping on and Pliskova is playing one of my two favorite first-round matches, I think, for Kiki Mladenovic, who ended her 2019 season so well uh, with the Fed Cup win for Team France. To draw Karolina Pliskova in the first round, you're like, ugh, well, that sucks. Um, But still, a really fun first-round match there. I would say my other favorite first-round match from this section, Lauren Davis, the uh, American, taking on former, I think it was last year's Junior French Open champion in the Canadian Layla Fernandez, who qualified here. What are the first-round matches you'll be watching most closely in this section? So, uh, Sigmund Vandaway, you know, and I can see the winner of that match uh, giving Pliskova a, a real run in the second round. So, so that that is a, a match I'm interested in. I mean, I'm certainly interested in seeing how how physically fit Vandaway is after all the injury problems she's had. So, I mean, that that's a mysterious match, but it has some potential to catapult a player uh, a few rounds into the tournament. Uh, and then Vandrusova uh, Kuznetsova. I mean, that that that's just a it's not just a contrast of styles, which is that's fun in and of itself, but it's also a clash of generations. You know, youngster against seasoned veteran. Uh, there, there's so much to like in that particular matchup. Yeah, it is a really fun section, and again, it it, it does feel like for Pliskova and Svitolina. Again, they get, they got to sneak in a major now before the Andreskis, before the Benchiches, before the Osaka goes on the inevitable. One of those people inevitably goes on a six slams in ten totals, you know, six slam titles in a ten slam run. Uh, you want to get your first title before that sort of thing happens, before one of these young players truly ascends to greatness. So my final question for our final section, predictions for this one. Do you feel confident enough to make them, or is this another throw dart on the board? Yeah, no, the, that third quarter is the whelp emoji, shrug, throw up your hands, you know, it's the, <laughs> that, that meme of the, the guy at the at the desk just throwing all the papers into the air. Um, yeah, it's it, the, the Curb Your Enthusiasm quarter, Season 10 section yeah. where you're just like, what's going on here? Yeah, so this is, this is, this is a clearer section. I, I think that, you know, I think it's Svitolina's quarter to lose, and I think it's really Svitolina's half to lose. I mean, this, this is, you look at the draw that she received, and Alina Svitolina should make her first major final. Should. Doesn't mean she will. But I, I, I see her as having the path to her first major final against Serena Williams. So that, that, that's how it all looks to me. And in that sort of situation, well, I guess we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so to stick on this section. Interesting. Yeah, I, I like this Svitolina pick. I, I know I, I'm going to keep getting burned by this. I just... I, re- I watched Carolina Pliskova play uh, and win that opening title of the season for her in, Bris- uh, in Brisbane. She looked so good, and she got tested in a bunch of different ways. She faced the Naomi Osaka test. She was down a 7-6 first set that she lost 12-10 in the breaker where she had a couple of set points, and it's easy to see Pliskova fold in that scenario. It's an early season warm-up. It doesn't really mean that much to lose that match to Osaka, and yet she came back and won the next two sets, 7-6-6-2 in that final. Uh, again, in Madison Key, she's playing a hard-hitting opponent. She loses that second set, 6-4. I think 
went down a break in the third. Didn't matter. 7-5, third set for Pliskova there uh, to repeat as the Brisbane champion. I just... I really have enjoyed her level play. I think she always comes out on fire. I keep pointing to it. The past three years, quarterfinal, quarterfinal, semifinals here. There's nothing... I have seen nothing in 2020, it's a very small sample size, to doubt that she will continue to bring uh, her best level to start this season at the Australian Open. And I think that's why she's my pick. Uh, I would love to take a Taylor Townsend upset over her in the third round. I still think there's a chance that that happens, but you look at the seeds in this section, I just, I'm not scared of Pavlchenkova, I'm not scared of Kerber, and I'm not scared of Vondrusova if I'm Karolina Pliskova, and that's what I have to do to get to the second week, and for her, that's half the battle at this point, just get to another second week, put yourself in that position uh, to compete once again, and I think Svitolina's section is a little bit trickier, I think, uh, you know, Leila Fernandez or Lauren Davis is by no means an easy second round matchup, Muguruza, Tom um, Janovic, Sevastova, floaters in that subsection as well. Of course, Amanda Nisimova, the 21 seed, who we haven't talked about. Kiki uh, has points to defend. Kiki Bertens continues to, I mean, I think we agree she's more of a threat at the French Open than here, but I mean, this is a, that's a Cincinnati champion you're talking about in Kiki Bertens, so you never want to throw her out of the equation as well. I just think for Pliskova, the first week, uh, is going to go the way she wants. And then again, given the conditions, the error quality, how all these different things are lining up, I think things line up well for her. I think she's going to be the most well-rested. I think if it goes indoors for that second week, it benefits her game a ton as well. I just, I'm desperate for a Pliskova title. So I'm going to stick with her emerging as the champ uh, of this section. And that gives us four semifinalists, Matt. We disagree I think on all four, uh, on three of the four, excuse me. We both agree, yeah, Serena. You can't, disagree, you can't disagree with, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, well I, I can disagree because I can say I do know. Um, but we can't disagree on Serena, right? There's just a rule you where you have you to have Serena. You can't disagree with me not knowing. Like, oh, no, Matt, you do know. You're just Oh, you know, that. Matt. You know. Let me tell you. You know, Matt. You know. Um, but with that in mind, we talked about uh, all of these sections of the draw. Just two more big picture questions before we wrap this bad boy up. And again, shout out to you for your time. I know you uh, at Tennis with an Accent did your own draw preview podcast as well. And for listeners who didn't get enough of that here, I highly encourage you guys to go listen to that one. It's just as good of a primer, if not better, as this. Um, but... Two big questions for you. Next-gen WTA, we've mentioned a lot of players, and again, my definition of next-gen, born younger than me, uh, that would make you born in 1996 or later. Uh, we we didn't mention, I think Belinda Bencic is the only 96 or later I have in my semifinals. I know there's a complete blank section of the draw for you, uh, but if any of these young players are going to make the semifinals, potentially emerge as champion, and I'm not. I'm going to say you can't say Osaka, you can't say Benchich, but if there's anyone else in that young range who you could see emerging these over these two weeks, who is the person you would pick? Uh, I am not. I, I confess to not knowing how old Donna Vekic is. Donna Vekic, I think a little bit younger than me, if I recall correctly. Donna hey, Vekic. I'm looking is it up. She's twenty. Twenty-three and a half. It counts. Lock it in. So if she counts, then she's inside the ropes. You know, then 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 that that clearly stands out as a player who could get on a run because she's in that third quarter. She's in the whelp emoji quarter. So 
the, the, the path is definitely there for her to be that person. I like it. I know she's not in this section, but I have to stick with Diana Yastremska. I just, I, I'm so fascinated by the 19-year-old Ukrainian. I just think the weapons she possesses, the fearlessness with which she plays, and there are a lot of young players, you know, Elena Rybakina, only 20 years old. I mean, she has been fearless to start this season as well. But I just see every tool in the book for Yastremska, the serve, the return. Uh, she'll slug away at the second you leave a ball short. She's not afraid even to hit the backhand slice uh, to mix things up. And, you know, if you slice one back, good luck to you because you're getting roped to that other corner. I just and, – and she even said in her – the other thing I like is Yastremska in the pre-tournament hoopla, all the media coverage. She said, look, I would love to play Serena again. I would love that opportunity. Uh, it didn't go well for me the first time. Obviously, to be the best, you have to beat the best. I, I'm paraphrasing for her here, but uh, that's uh, that's the sort of mindset I'm looking for entering the year's first major. So she's who I would put a flyer on next-gen-wise. But all right, to wrap this thing up, I you pick three out of four semifinalists, I suppose – uh, it, it might make it difficult if you think someone out of the third section is going to emerge as champion. But give me your finals and champion prediction, Matt, as we head into this one. It's going to be Serena against Fidelina, and it's going to be Serena Jamika Williams who wins title number 24. You think this is the one? Yep. Just the confidence. She, give, me, give me the case one more time. Well, that Serena comes in free of injury concerns. Uh, and she's she's got match play in Auckland, and you know, so um, Brisbane was a much had a tougher field than Auckland did, but the, the rationale for Serena playing Auckland was to get more match play. You know, it was much more likely that she would not face a really tough player in round one, and then you know get only one match from that tournament. So I mean, it was important to get matches more than a title, and Serena I think made a great choice by going to Auckland. Um, so she she has uh, everything in line in terms of the, the mind body dualism. The mind and the body are both in a great place, and if you put if you have Serena Williams' body and mind in a great place, well, what are what else are we left to conclude? And then on the other half, you know, Svitolina, uh, I just you know th- she she has a relatively favorable section now. You know, Garbina Muguruza might somehow come alive in her section and, and, and be a threat. But Marugarutha historically does terribly at the Australian Open. So I'm going to discount that. I think, you know, Svitolina should have the answers for that. You know, Anna Samova is also in Svitolina's uh, uh, quarter of the draw. You know, that, that could potentially be dangerous. But I think that Svitolina is smart enough to know how to defuse Anna Samova's power. And then again, I'm on record as saying that if it's uh, Pishkova, Svitolina in the quarters, that Svitolina's recent play at major tournaments mm-hmm. gives her a real advantage in that match. So I, you know, I think the path is there for Svitolina to make her first major final. But then, uh, you know, if we see Serena against Svitolina, we all saw what happened at the U.S. Open in the semifinals. That was a beatdown, and I'm not sure that Svitolina would be likely to turn the tables. I also think that Serena knows Svitolina's game to the point that she's not going to get ambushed the way she was by Andrescu uh, in the U.S. Open final. I think it would be the kind of matchup that Serena would be able to handle to finally win a major final after these recent losses in 2018 and 2019. 
I think it's a really good point. I think for Serena, you want to play someone who's not going to consistently hurt you, who doesn't have a big weapon to turn to. So in the Serena scenario you lay out here, I, I do think that is her pathway to a title. That being said, I really hope we get these semifinals I have right now prediction-wise, not because I want my predictions to be correct, but I think the idea, the double narrative on the top, if you have a Madison Keys taking on a Serena, uh, the significance of that, you know, the passing of the guard from one American champion, hopefully to the next, uh, that's a really fun one. But then on the bottom, to get a potential Benchich-Pliskova semifinal, two people scrapping for their first Grand Slam titles, two incredible talents, two people who are so good at playing plus one tennis, moving their opponents around the ball, uh, around the court. I think Pliskova uh, would be the one playing most of the first strike tennis. I do think Benchic does a really good job of absorbing pace and using that pace to attack her opponents. I think we're getting a first-time champion uh, at this event. I think that's been the theme of most of my predictions. As great as Osaka's looked, her section of the draw is just hell. Uh, as good as Ashley Barty's looked, it's just so hard for an Australian player to win their home event. So many things have to go right. The emotions of all of that, um, and I mean her section of the draw as well, no slouch. I'm going to stick with it. I think it's Karolina Pliskova's time. I think this is the tournament. She always comes out to start the year well. She won Brisbane last year only to lose in the semifinals of Australia in three sets. Um, I I just think this is the year. I just think everything has lined up well. Her section of the draw, the fact that whoever comes out of that third section again, it'd be given that it could be someone unseated, it could be 27 of 32 players, I think was the number we went with. That benefits her as well. I think the Alina Svitolina matchup-wise, I think that's a pretty good ranking for her. Uh, you look at Pliskova and Svitolina, what they've done head-to-head thus far in their careers. Pliskova, overall, five wins to Svitolina's four. The last one coming when Pliskova knocked off Svitolina, I think it was six and four at the uh, WTA championships at, to end last season. I would also take Belinda Bencic. I think the winner's coming from the bottom half. I think it's going to be Bencic or Pliskova, but I'm going to roll with Carolina Pliskova. Matt, am I crazy? I, I know that you're hopelessly in love with her. I mean, I you know, <laughs> her game we, certainly. We, we recorded, you know, our best of the decade, and I, I remember that broadcast, Alex, and and you you were saying that you know she she's going to carry this story over the top. She's going to cross that barrier. She's going to create the happy ending. I mean, I know that you just the, the romanticism yeah, yeah. which you carried off that best of the decade broadcast that has stuck with me. So I know that she has a special place in your heart as a prognosticator, of course, and that, you know, it's, it's important to predict her uh, to win a major. So, you know, it's not being crazy unless we're saying unless we're referring to being crazy in love. Yeah, everyone knows three things about me, Matt. I'm a hopeless romantic. <laughs> I'm a uh, I'm a hopeless optimist. And third and most importantly, there will always be a place in my heart for people who, like me, aren't very good at bending their knees. And I think if anyone watches Carolina Pliskova, <laughs> that is not her strength. you got to keep it in the strike zone. And I'm the same way. Keep it in the strike zone. You want me to move outside? That's, that's crazy talk now. So, yes, I agree with you. Uh, I am certainly looking forward to, hopefully, Carolina Pliskova ending the narrative of her being a slamless uh, 
great you know champion on our tour. One thing I also know I'm looking forward to throughout the course of this Australian Open, Matt, uh, your guys' coverage at Tennis with an Accent. It's been a while since you guys have gotten to fire out you know the standard rate of three, four, five articles a day. Is that what us listeners, us fans of your work should expect as it's Australian Open time? Yeah, during the Australian Open, we're definitely going to crank out the material you know again not a lot of preview stuff because i really don't want us to get into a mindset of oh this tournament means a lot for this person's legacy and then oh you know dirty air terrible conditions you know what what are we going to say then so i really don't want to do a whole lot of advanced promoting i mean i would just say that, you know that our, our podcast with mert ertunga mertov's the letter t desk mertov's t desk uh you know that's at our our various uh podcast distribution outlet so that's on my uh, twitter page at at mzemic um so you can get all the outlets for our uh for mert's uh draw breakdown i talked to mert about the wta my partner sakib ali uh talked to mert about the atp side so that's a complete two two portion you know breaking down the men and the women both draws uh that so that is uh, our our main pre-tournament offering but yeah, when first ball starts Sunday night, we're going to have constant content. And, and I, I just want to reiterate the reminder, you know, the, the, the drama of someone losing is just as profound as the drama of someone winning. You know, there, there are stories that are powerful because of the loss and the failure uh, and, and the disappointment. There are stories that are powerful because of the success, the triumph, the elation. At this tournament, again, I'm not going to be emphasizing losses, especially if they're affected by conditions. Uh, I'm only going to focus on winners. So that's going to be like the twist in our coverage. You know, if, 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 Assuming that there are no fires at Roland Garros or in Wimbledon Village, you know, we would have a more normal tournament in which we'd focus both on the losses of players and the wins of players in equal measure. But at this tournament, not going to be criticizing the losers very much. I I think that's fair. I think that's something all in tennis media should aspire to do because, again, none of us are understanding of uh, these sort of uh, you know, conditions that these players are playing in. It's so abnormal, and it's always going to be hot during the Australian summer, but to add the smoke to just the unsafe air quality out there. I mean, uh, my dad happened to be traveling to Australia uh, for work this past week, and he came home, and he, you know, I tried to convince him to come on the podcast. He was like, absolutely not, under no circumstances, Alex, will I be coming on your podcast? But he did say, you know, he can report that, yeah, it's horrible, like especially in the mornings you think it's fine and then it's mid-afternoon and not only do you have a 115-degree you know, Australian summer day bearing down on you, but then you have to navigate all this smoke as well and it's just it, – it, it's something horrible that of course will be uh, – will overshadow all of the action this week, but – there is still action to talk about, and of course, I know I speak for all of us when we say we are thrilled to get this year's first Grand Slam underway. Hopefully, the level of tennis we can expect uh, will stay uh, will stay on the level that we've uh, come to hope and see from all of these players over the course of 2019 to start out the 2020 season. And of course, if you want to keep up with any of that action, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, for the more immediate updates. Of course, the timing in Australia slightly different than us here in the United 
United States of America. But to follow those immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at Cracked Rackets. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flinkner and Daniel Westoff, who have a fuck of an any job to do, not only to get these previews ready uh, for you listeners before play begins tomorrow, uh, but two weeks of tennis. You know, we want you guys to be up to date. And of course, we will be throwing out our mini break podcast, recapping the day's action, previewing the next day's matches each and every night throughout this tournament. We will try and do our best. But in the in the meantime, to fill in the gaps again, go check out the website, Tennis with an Accent. Uh, tennisaccent.com as there is fantastic writing day in day out throughout this Australian Open. Matt, I if not at the halfway point, it's tradition we'll have a winners and losers podcast at some point after this Australian Open. So I look forward to talking to you later and of course shout out to you a big thanks as always for coming on today's show. You're, you um, need to team me. You need to team me up for the big finale, right? Oh, of course. I wasn't ready. I wasn't done yet. See, we are a little oh, bit rusty. Okay. I would just say just a big shout-out to you. Thank you, and good luck as you continue your coverage of the Australian Open. Again, for our listeners, one last time, can you let them know where to find everything? TennisAccent.com. We're on Twitter at Accent underscore Tennis. My Twitter page, M-Z-E-M-E-K. And uh, my partner, Saqib Ali, is at S-A-Q-I-B-A. And the sponsor of our recent podcast is Australia's Stats Insider, StatsInsider.com. .au. They will have live in-match in statistics, and, and they're, they're, the way it renders on a mobile device is very user-friendly. It's very clean presentation. The stats are continuously updated. They give you not just first serve and second serve percentage, but they give first serve and second serve points one. Well, I know that is really the money statistic that you want when getting live in-match statistics. So uh, follow our friends at Australia Stats Insider. Yeah, awesome. Well, then with that in mind, for M-Z-E-M-E-K, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Here it is, Matt. What do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. Uh, Gotten even better over the course of this year, Matt. I love it. And we will see you all next week, I suppose, or we will see you later today with our men's preview coming out live. But either way, enjoy the first Grand Slam, and we will talk to you all soon.